This is Content Content, a bi-monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. Today's guest is MJ Babick, who I work with at Goldman Sachs. Um, she and I met through uh, some networking events, and it turns out that she is a UX writer at the firm, uh, and we call it the firm instead of the company, which I've never quite understood, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we met and we become friends, and um, you know, she's a great person to know, and she is a UX writer. So I thought that it would be a good person or a good friend and good person to have on to talk to us and tell us about what her role in UX writing is. So MJ, happy Sunday. How are you today? I'm great. And, you know, actually, I do remember when we first met, because when I first uh, started at the firm, I was looking for other people in the firm who, who did anything related to writing and um, sent out an email to a bunch of people and like, hey, who wants to have lunch on a particular day? And I think you were the only one who showed up. <laughs> and so we had lunch together and it was great. But first of all, before we go into what you do at Goldman now, mm-hmm. why don't you take a step back and tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, where, how you got started in, 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 mm-hmm. in UX writing, your little bit of your backstory. Yeah. Well, I think um, like many people who find themselves in UX writing, it was um, almost entirely by accident and, you know, nothing that I ever intended to do. So my background is as a journalist. Um, So after college, I worked as a newspaper writer for six years. Yeah, back in the day when those existed, I was I worked at uh, two, two daily newspapers in Michigan and you know, that was um, just fantastic experience. And I feel like I have drawn on the skills that I that I developed as a journalist in every job, you know, writing role that I've had since then, um, just in terms of, you know, being able to gather a big amount of information and sift through it to shape it into some sort of narrative and mm. figure out what's important and, you know, how to kind of put everything together to you know asking questions um figuring out like you know where 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 is the where is the story where is the important thing um and that uh comes in handy just all the time and then just you know the the sort of like nuts and bolts of clear writing concise writing you know getting to the point um all all of those things and those skills together that are so important, I think, in just about any job that you can get that touches uh, on content. Um, And then uh, I left that position. I, uh, along the way, I picked up an MFA in creative writing. And then for a good uh, 20 years or so, I was just a freelancer um, doing doing every kind of thing you know i did um i did some technical writing um not not a whole lot but some i did some marketing writing i did some um sort of editing of scientific journals um i did a lot of uh writing feature articles for magazines uh especially a lot of um academic university magazines um which those are always incredibly fun assignments they would be um you know, I'd just get assigned some interesting topic and here, speak to our professor and, you know, who's doing uh, research into some interesting topic and then write an article for it, um, you know, for like the alumni magazine, for example. Um, So there was quite, so I did um, just 
a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, it's very hard to put together a, <laughs> a concise resume when you're a freelance writer for a long time. LinkedIn does not lend itself to <laughs> an easy listing out of that of that kind of thing. Um, so then somewhere in there, so I guess it was right around, um, I don't know, 2014, something like that. I got hired at Citrix, um, okay. the tech company. Um, and I was a contract, I was a full-time contractor there. And that was my first experience with doing something like UX writing, even though I was not called a UX writer at that time. Um, my job there was sort of uh, two parts. I had one part, which was more technical documentation, sort of like describing the steps to um, implement our, our technology, um, the, you know, cause we use, we use Citrix products at, at Goldman and, right. um, you know, so, um, you know, it was for those, those documents were, um, geared toward like it administrators who were deploying these, these tools for their, their companies. And then the other half was, um, working on a suite of mobile apps and writing the sort of UI microcopy. So like very, very different. <laughs> Those were two very different things. And um, I'm, I'm not even sure how I ended up doing the um, right, you know, writing the copy for the mobile apps, but somehow I did. And I just was really drawn to it. I thought it was a, <sighs> such a new and interesting challenge, you know, to, you know, in a, such a small space to figure out like, what should this button be called? You know, what should this like couple words of instruction here be? Um, what's the best way to write this error message? You know, all the sort of uh, the bread and butter of kind of microcopy that, um, you know, makes up a, a very important part of the UX writer's job. So, um, so that was, you know, kind of, and that was my first experience in sort of working in a, uh, a tech company environment. Uh, <laughs> and I had a lot to catch up on really, really fast, like working in sprints and working, it, you know, it with agile, you know, mm. uh, that kind of, I mean, you know, all the sort of, um, you know, just the, um, the processes and the terminology that kind of, kind of come with that. And, um, you know, I, I, and I really enjoyed working with designers and developers and I just decided that I, this was a line of work that I liked, that I liked a lot. So that job, my, I was a contractor there. So my contract came to an end. Um, and I was like, you know, I really would love to get another job doing at, at that point. I, I, I guess I became aware that the, the best term to use to call what I was doing was UX writing. And um, yeah, so I, um, and then I ended up, you know, I, I went back to freelancing for a year or so while I was looking for um, a full-time job and uh, ended up, uh, ended up at Golden Sachs. Yeah. And so it was, um, I was brought in, the design team was kind of in its early days being, um, being built up. So I was, you know, uh, I was, tasked with uh, creating a writing guide, um, a voice and tone guide, um, all of, you know, these sort of very important structural documents to have for a, a UX writing practice at, on a team. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the circuitous route. And I think a lot of UX writers have a similar story. <laughs> they kind of come about it, you know, in that way. 
Well, it's certainly interesting in this field. And the more podcasts I've done, there's no one direct path to being tech writer or yeah. anything that people have ended up being on the podcast. And my route was different, was completely different too. I mean, I went to school to be a journalist. I was going to be a reporter. I couldn't wait to work for the New York Times. And <laughs> then somehow I got this interview for a tech writing assistant and I didn't know what tech writing was but somehow I got the job and here I am 27 years later so you know <laughs> it's, it's it's really interesting and like you said I, I agree that I mm-hmm. think the interviewing skills and be able to talk to people and get information out of them from mm-hmm. that journalism background is really really helpful and it's what mm-hmm. we do we interview people most of the time so mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. how to ask the right questions which of course led to creating a podcast is kind of you know how I got <laughs> here so but uh so yeah, that journal, I, that journalism background is uh, is serving you well right now. So, and I'm sure, as it as it always has. But it's, I, you know, I was did some mm-hmm. college radio too, so I have that yeah. background. So you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like that's shit you do when you're younger. You're like, hey, let's try this or whatever. Like, I, I want to do this. I want to be a journalist and whatever. And then it takes you a completely different way. And you know, as you know, probably AUX writing and tech writing pays a hell of a lot more than being a reporter. So uh, <laughs> and at least, yeah, and there are actually jobs to be. Well, yeah, there's sli- slightly more job security too. So. Yeah, I know, which is such a shame. I mean, you know, and that's could be a whole a topic for a whole other podcast. But you know, it I know it's it's it it's been um just uh very very hard to watch what's what's happened to to journalism. Just you know, it, things were already tough when I entered the business in the early 1990s, and it's okay. only gotten yeah. you know gotten worse since then. So yeah, um, but you know, I think the thing that just the common thing is. You know, it's pretty simple for me is that I just want to bring good writing to whatever corner I happen to be, I happen to be, you know, working in at that moment. And, um, you know, I often use this, this story to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. So many years ago, my husband and I had this financial advisor um, that we worked with. And he every like quarter would just send out a newsletter to all of his clients. And, you know, at that time, never thinking that one day I might work in the finance business, <laughs> but at that time, I was like reading about financial stuff was the last thing that I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I, I could barely keep track of, you know, what he would explain to us during our meetings with him. But his newsletters were so well written and just mm. so um, interesting. And he made complex topic topics um, understandable. Um, he made them relevant. He tied them to what was going on, you know, in the news or in current events. And, you know, I looked forward to whenever we got one of those, I sat down and I read the whole thing. And this was, you know, because, because it was well-written. I mean, I wasn't really interested in the topic, you know, it wasn't Mm. like I was already sold on the topic. Um, and you know, I, I told him that I said, you know, I think this is great that, you know, I, and I have kind of a high standard, you know, I'm kind of a snob about this sort of thing. So, uh, and he, you know, he seemed very pleased by that. And I felt like that was a great example. Like if you can, you know, bring some good writing to whatever it is that you're doing, it is going to be appreciated. It is going to be helpful. It is, um, and it's going to avoid, uh, you know, frustration, which is so important, especially with, um, you know, digital products. Um, I think, uh, I think copy has a very, very important role to play in that. So, um, you know, it's, so I always, I always kind of think about that <laughs> as I'm in whatever work that I'm doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, well, to go back to what you said before that, you know, you were a technical writer and in the past, technical writers have kind of done the UX writing thing, I think, before. So it's interesting to see that evolution and see how mm-hmm. that, you know, like you said, basically, you kind of rebranded yourself as a UX writer because it was it was more, you know, there were more jobs. So, mm-hmm. I mean, can you explain a little bit more, I guess, for people, you know, what the difference you think is because you've done some tech writing and other forms of writing, what that mm-hmm. te- what the difference is between that and UX writing, especially how it applies today in our digital world? Yeah, and I haven't done I mean, I've done some tech writing, but not like, you know, but not you really, the, you know not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I think that UX writing is all about completing, helping people complete tasks on digital products. I think that is sort of at, at its essence. And I'm sure there's, you know, that certainly applies to technical writing as well. Um, but it is helping people move, move through their tasks as, as efficiently and seamlessly as, as possible. So, um, you know, how do you do that? Well, it's, a confluence of quite a few things that, mm. um, you know, you, the copy needs to be clear. Um, it needs to be consistent, but I subscribe to the mantra of clarity over consistency. So it's, oh, okay. you know, it's nice to have like these guidelines, but if in a particular moment you need to, um, violate your, your, <laughs> you know, your consistency in order to make something clear in that moment, then you oh, should. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, and to sort of strike the right voice or tone for whatever your brand is or whatever it is that you're, um, you know, that you're writing for. Now I have not ever had, so the, my UX writing experiences have been in, um, sort of, they have not, let me put it this way. They have not sort of been in, um, uh, work or in, you know, for, for companies that rely on sort of customer conversions, you know, so it's okay. not, it's, it's, okay. not, it's like, okay. So like when I worked at Citrix, we were writing for, these were, you know, I was writing documents for customers that had already bought our products and were, you know, implementing them and for, um, you know, mobile apps that someone's company has already decided that they would use as their work, you know, work mobile, secure mobile apps for their, for their work things. I'm sure that there is a difference if I were writing for something like a, you know, a retail site that you, that anyone could go to Mm. and, you know, that um, you're trying to, you know, convince to buy like, or something like that, you know, like that. So there's, uh, I think that's probably, there's a very, you know, a whole, you know, additional set of concerns that would come into play for that kind of, for that kind of work, which I, like, I haven't done that, but I, um, so I, I think like in UX writing, but I, I, you know, I still think in general, it's like people are completing tasks online. I mean, you know, right. More and more in our lives, like we do everything online where, you know, or on mobile. Um, and so it's just sort of always having in mind, like, where they are in their in their flow like what screen did they just come from what screen are they on now what screen are they going to go to if they if they hit this button and is you know is like the same terminology carrying through you know so if you have a button that says you know like see your assets and some window you tap it and some window opens and it says like portfolio you know then it's sort of like well wait a second (laughs) you know like that doesn't that need to be the same word that carries through i'll give a quick example um just the other day i got an email from the atlantic monthly that said um you know your 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 issue is ready to download and i was like oh wait 
I'm like, hmm, I think I let my subscription lapse. I don't think I have a subscription. You know, I had a subscription. I don't think I do anymore. Let, let's just see what happens. So I clicked on it and it opened up, um, you know, a window in my browser and there was nothing on the screen, you know, and that, and so I was like, okay. And I'm like, well, that could be, I, I'm like, I wasn't sure. Does that mean, because I think that my subscription lapsed, but I'm not sure, but there was no sort of message there to say like, why am I getting this blank screen? Maybe my subscription had been lapsed for so long that it's such an edge case. They're not even like designing for it anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't really, I wasn't really sure, but there was a help button. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll click this and see what happens. And so I clicked on help. And it said like, uh, select your issue below. And at first I was like, well, what, what, I don't have an issue, but that's the whole point. There is no issue for me to download. And then, but then I, I saw that this, the selections were things like, uh, you know, report a problem, check on my billing. And I'm like, oh, that kind of an issue that, <laughs> like that. But like, I was already in the, you know, I had from, okay. from starting this flow with the email, I was already in the sort of headspace of like the word issue being the issue of the magazine that I could download. And so like, I was just like, no, I, I think like you needed to use a different term there. Like, like when writing that piece right there to maybe think about like, well, what are the um, use cases that could possibly land someone at this, you know, and if they had already kind of come from where I had just come from, it was confusing, you know, for a minute. So I'm not sure if that's a clear answer to what, <laughs> to what you said, but no. um I, I just think like these are um, the sort of unique kind of challenges for UX writing in terms of, you know, like you have got to always keep in mind, like it's almost like kind of keeping two things, the sort of like hyper-focused in mind, but yet set against like what the user is, you know, in the middle of doing while they're at like that particular moment and, and you know, kind of always holding those, you know, things in mind and being at pains to do a couple of things at once. Um, so I don't know, let, let me ask you, how does that differ? Do you think from like what you have to deal with, with, with technical writing? Well, the first thing I noticed is that you chose, um, you know, the end of moment more than consistency, clarity over consistency. And I think at least in, in, in my preference, it's always been consistency because, you know, you're, especially as you're writing across a team of writers, you can't sound like an individual mm -hmm. voice. You have to sound, you know, like when I taught marching band, you wanted your snare drummers to sound the same way and stick the same way and play the same way and sound like one drummer. And that's, I kind of, I guess I took that along the philosophy of being consistent. And I think it is, yes. you know, in technical writing itself is that, you know, you have to be consistent, but like you said, it's probably not, you know, we're writing differently about edge cases than, like you said, like you're in a flow and, mm -hmm. you know, the term was issue for problem, but your issue was that you were thinking about it in terms of the print paradigm because they sent you that way. So I could see where that inconsistency would, or that clarity would be necessary. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I just, you know, I guess we're maybe as tech writers, we're thinking less about the edge cases or mm -hmm. thinking about it less as, you know, as part of the flow or maybe, okay, if you have a troubleshooting problem, go over here. Even though a lot of times I try to say, you know, well, if you see this, do this, but you know, we're, especially as tech writers, we're not always, I guess, knowing what the entire flow is and what the bigger picture is sometimes, especially what yeah. someone tries to do. And, you know, we're trying to write, like you said, like, you know, a series of tasks to get things done, you know, with their digital products. But I think it's more of a, you know, I guess it's more of a reactionary thing than a proactive thing where you're actively saying, okay, if they've come from here, then they need to go here. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, I think it's interesting too, because 
you know, back when I started, I don't really think that tech writers did a lot of the labeling that was up to the developer to choose. Is it okay or cancel or run or whatever? So, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in that oh, regard, yeah. it's kind of cool to see that, you know, we have that voice finally as UX writers, you know, mm-hmm. so that's really, really cool. But, and don't, and don't get me wrong. Like consistency is huge. I don't want right. to say I, that, yeah, like, no. you know, and, and that, I mean, you know, those would be, um, you know, exceptions that have to have a good argument, you know, when, when you, when you're, veer from that but um you know i've been in i've had the situation where like in order to sort of maintain consistency with your style guide you know there could be a particular case where it kind of leads to some sort of contorted language and it's like well you know listen that's no good (laughs) you know you need to you know i I think it's okay you have to be you know you have to have the flexibility to kind of make it good in in the moment you know there's this uh in, in the wealth management field there's this concept of you know the great wealth transfer i don't know if you if you've ever heard of that but like as as baby boomer you know in the next like 10 to 20 years you know baby boomers are expected to sort of pass on um the figure that i have heard is like 30 trillion dollars of of wealth to younger generations you know so that's like a huge not my family we're not (laughs) (laughs) not mine either but you know you know wouldn't that be nice but um but yeah that's it's um that is definitely something that uh that the industry is grappling with. And one, I think one of, and one of the biggest ways is like the digital offerings because, you know, the younger generation, like they're, and we even have that now, like there are, there is a certain percentage of, uh, you know, of our clients that want to do everything online, you know, and that's mm. just going to, con- you know, continue to get, um, you know, bigger and bigger. Um, and so that, the wealth management client clientele gets younger, um, you know, they just do everything online, you know, they, <laughs> they don't want to talk to people on the phone. Um, and, you know, they're also not, you know, as re- research has shown, they're also not necessarily going to stay with the same wealth management firm that their parents were at, you okay. know, and that the quality of digital products is a big, is a big mm. factor in their decision mm. about which, which firm they go with, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to want to go with a firm that doesn't have like powerful, good, well-designed, um, you know, effective digital tools. And so, you know, um, so that's kind of an interesting, an interesting direction, you know, that that's a challenge and challenge for us. Yeah, I hadn't considered the, you know, like you said, more of the content marketing content, you know, the conversion kind of business side of it, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I must, that must be completely different world. But I, I guess I'm curious what kind of feedback you get from our clients. Are you getting any kind of feedback from anybody? Or, I mean, either, you know, either you're with clients or from developers or anyone at the mm-hmm. firm. What kind of yeah. feedback do you get? Do you mean I personally or, <laughs> or no, uh, like the design team? Yeah, um, you know, some, I mean, there are some clients who, if they find, you know, if it have some issue with, um, you know, something on the website, well, we'll offer some feedback. Um, okay. One really great thing in just the two years that I've been there is that our uh, research and user testing capabilities have really ramped up. And mm. I think that those are, um, so we have a couple of really fantastic um, user researchers. And um, so that's been uh, that's been really helpful. Um, yeah, we, you know, I, I always would love more feedback. Um, and I think, um, you know, we definitely, like, I definitely get it just sort of in a casual way, like as we're sort of working on a feature or a problem or, you know, just in, in terms of, um, you know, discussion, like, do we think that this is okay? Uh, and, um, you know, a product, product owners who are very close to the product and are kind of subject matter experts can, you know, really, 
be very helpful in weighing in and like, well, you know, I don't think this, this phrasing may not work for this reason. Uh, so I rely on, I'll, you know, their input quite a bit to kind of, you know, really helped help me shape and craft the right, uh, the right message, um, you know, for a particular thing. So, yeah, you know, I always would love to get more actual copy into testing. Um, and okay. it's, um, you know, it's not something that it, sometimes, you know, there are, there are priorities, right. And, you know, we have limited capacity, so I can't always, you know, do as much as I want, but there was um, like, for example, there was a recent, we recently tested some copy um, for the process of um, approving trans approving transactions. So, you know, a client or the client's advisors will initiate some sort of transaction or some sort of activity like a transfer of money or some sort of change to their profile or something like that. And then the client has to, has to approve that activity. And so they get, a, they get a notification either on their phones or when they log into the website and um, the, you know, I was sort of writing the messages for that. And the, um, the initial thing that I, the initial wording that I came up with was like um, something like, you know, uh, a, you know, you have one transfer uh, to approve. And then there was this button that said, uh, or you have one new transfer or something. It was something like that. Or one new update, something along those lines. And then the button said approve. And then I was looking at it and I was like, I don't know, like, are they going to think that, um, are they going to think that like by clicking that button, they're automatically approving it? Cause that's actually not what happens. What happens is another, um, you know, page opens and that is where they do the approving or the not approving if they, if they don't. And you know, like that could be, that could give a client, that could give a user pause, right? Like, well, I don't know if I'm, if I want to approve it, I want to see it first, you know, I want to see the details and like that could scare them off a little bit. So we were able to do some really quick user testing um, because, you know, we have, we have the capability, you know, we have a lot more capability for that. And, uh, you know, it, which was great. So in a couple of days, um, we were able to, you know, put that question to, um, I don't know, a good number of like a, a, a good sample of, you know, users or, um, uh, you know, user proxies, which is another sort of, you know, um, method that we use. And I found out that, yeah, actually that, you know, most people did find that that would be a little, they didn't like the way that that was phrased because they did think that they were approving this transaction directly from this message rather than and that made them a little, they preferred to, you know, have it say, so, you know, we changed that word to view rather than to approve. So that like, let them know that they're going to be viewing something, viewing it before they approve it. You know, it's sort of like if you're ordering something online, right, you get to review your order before you like submit the order. And it seems like, I think that's that, you know, that kind of an intermediate step was important and to let them know that they were getting that intermediate step. So, um, you know, so that was great. And that was advised by, um, you know, some research, which, you know, which is great. I don't think it should just be what I think is great. Right. <laughs> you know, like I think it, and I mean, you know, obviously as a practical matter, you can't test everything, but, um, you know, as much as possible, I think you, you, you know, you should, cause then it gives you, you know, you got some data, you got some metrics to back up the decisions that you're making. 
Okay, so tell me more about this testing process, because that's what I'm curious about, and it's something that we in Techcom really don't necessarily have. So are you talking about like A-B testing, where you're showing like a, a, a button with two different things mm -hmm. on it, and you're, or are, you, mm -hmm. are you doing this in a, like an informal environment? Are you doing this live? Tell me tell me more about this part of it, because that's really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, um, it can be A-B testing. Um, I wish that we had our testers, <laughs> our, our researchers here to talk about it, because they could do it so much better than I can. But um, in, I mean, I can just say in general, yeah, it's um, it often is A-B testing. Um, and especially like with something, this was a pretty simple request that I had, you know, I was just able to mock up like, and we also, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm let me back up a second. Um, we have a, a prototype. We have pro like functioning prototypes that we okay. use for testing. So it allows people to, you know, be able to kind of go through a, it's clickable, you know, go through a process and, you know, kind of decide which, you know, which one they like better. So, um, and we also use usertesting.com, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. And that is, um, and again, I am not a user testing uh, expert, so <laughs> apologies if I if I get this wrong. But it is, um, you know, a website where you can sort of upload a request for some testing, and, and mm -hmm. that's where um, people can go and um, you know test it out, and you can get some feedback that way. And you know, this is all overseen and developed by our our testing team, and you know, they bring all of their expertise and excellent practice to it. And um, so I kind of talk with them about here's what I want to test out. And then they're like, you know, okay, we can kind of um, develop this request sort of, you know, like this, how does this look to you? You know, and we kind of iterate back and forth and then they put it up on user testing, uh, you know, for a certain period of time. And then um, when that's done, they will sort of, you know, compile all the results and, you know, write it up to say like, you know, based on, you know, here's, you know, clearly, you know, 58% liked it this way and 43% liked it this way. And, you know, they, you know, and if any of them offered comments, you know, sort of like the, add some qualitative, um, you know, responses to the quantitative. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, sort of the, the basic outline, but um, what, like, what about what, on your end, what do you do for testing? Like, how do you, well, how we, do you run that? Well, we, I mean, we test internally, we have our own kind of like checklist, um, you know, for each topic. And then we have a, a teammate review it. Um, we also have what's called linters now that we're implementing, which because like it enforces our style guide and our voice and tone, like you could do like word replacement, you know, like instead of blacklist, you know, use allow or permit kind of stuff. So we're trying to automate that into because mm -hmm. not only are, are, you know, not only is our team creating technical content, but some of the teams are going to be kind of doing a self-service model where they're creating their own content based on our guidelines and our templates and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. really, I mean, now we're actually doing actual testing with, mm -hmm. with, with uh, before it goes live with people who are, we ask our clients who, you know, if they have someone who is onboarded recently or is onboarding and if we can reach out to them for stuff like that. Um, in the past, in my prior role, um, when I didn't have that opportunity, we actually had a focus group that we did, that we organized people who were, you know, who were advocates of our documentation, who we'd work with, who were, you know, who were people, you know, our, you know, our, our good clients, basically, people who just were interested in documentation for whatever reason. We would, mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't do a lot of like, I mean, we would kind of ask them about design stuff. We wouldn't ask about you know, buttons and stuff like that, because we didn't have a whole ton of buttons because it's documentation. You're clicking through links and stuff like that to take you somewhere. Um, 
so we just had a focus group like, oh, do you like this? Do you like that? What, you know, what would you want to see? How would you want to see this organized kind of stuff? So we mm -hmm. did that kind of testing. Now that I think about it, it's interesting that I've actually done testing. <laughs> <laughs> you may not. Did you not think of it as testing? No, or... it, was just, I mean, it was just kind of those things like, you know, we're doing these things. It was kind of like a sneak peek stuff like, hey, you're our preferred mm -hmm. clients. Here's what we're working on. Here's what's coming down the pipe. Here is a career to be in a, a higher role at a prior company. I was called a necessary evil. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so that was great. That, that, that's really that, great for the self-esteem. That's a, that's a mantle I would happily take on. I am happy to, to be that person. You know, and you know, I certainly have run into that as well. I mean, you know, I think a lot of things like error messages, you know, were just, <laughs> um, you know, traditionally just written, you know, written by written by developers. And you know, God love developers. Like they want they want what I, I think. Like there's such a almost like a generosity uh, that um, among developers that I love. Like they just mm. want to let users know everything about why a particular <laughs> thing is going wrong like it's so wonderful it's such a wonderful impulse and i'm just like no you don't need to tell them you don't need to tell them like you know the words 500 error don't need to appear on the screen that isn't going to really mean anything to them you know you can just tell them like it's not can't you know things aren't available <laughs> bad, right now yeah, try, yeah. like yeah you know try try again later um error in module s392 679w3 <laughs> great that's so useful for me trying to get my money yeah <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, and I think that you're, I mean, I think this is kind of hitting on a point that like writers, you know, the, the role that, to me, like a really important role that writers can play in these, you know, settings is to be something of an outsider, you know, I mean, mm. at least you know, considering that I had zero experience in the finance industry yeah. before I got this job, I could hardly be more of an outsider. But I think, um, you know, and of course, like you can't, you know, you have to obviously learn something about the material that you're working with. But I think it's important to retain at least something of that, um, you know, not I'm, not, I'm not an expert. I'm not in this world all the time because th I think that's like, at least, you know, for PWM, like that's our client, you know, our clients are like that too. And so, you know, it, it can, uh, you know, I, I'm always the one who's sort of asking the question, like, what, what does this mean? What does this acronym mean? Why, why do we say it like this? You know, can we say it like this? And, um, you know, and sometimes if the answer is, well, because we always have, because that's what we mm. do, I, you know, you need to push back on that a little bit and say like, well, you know, do we, do we, you know, do we really like, does this, um, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I, like things can begin to get very long, <laughs> you know, very sort of wordy and, um, you know, nobody like I just don't think too many people have time for that. Right. And exactly. so yeah, I don't know, have time to read a three paragraph error message, you know, no. on my phone. Yeah, or you know, right, or uh, you know, a, a, a hundred and twenty word tooltip on you know describing like what what a particular term means, and so I mean, which right, you can't like, access tooltips via phone because it's it's a hover function. So right, right, yep, exactly. So you know, and, you know, in your what you were saying before, I, I picked up on when you said something like, uh, "Don't say blacklist, say uh, what was I, I, approve, I think, yeah, like, you know, yeah, right, right." Um, you know, terminology like that is huge, right? You know, it's huge. I mean, it's, um, you know, and I, I love it. I mean, I get all, I nerd out on that kind of stuff, you know, like, should we say, should we say cancel here or close? Like, what does that mean? Like, what are the, you know, what are the, what are the differences? And, you know, when you go into it, like there, there are differences, you know, that, that are important and, um, you have to kind of then, you know, capture that. And I, we have a, a writing guide that I maintain, well, I mean, it's always, 
like any like any uh, resource, it's always perennially out of date. But, <laughs> um, but you know, you you need to clarify. And, and people will ask, like, what what do we say here? Do we say cancel or do we say close? And so. Um, you know, it's very important to understand what, like, when do you use one? When do you use the other? Um, you know, it's, um, and just, you know, not only, I mean, it's obviously it helps, like, ultimately it helps the clients to kind of understand what's going on. It also helps the team, you know, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you create, you know, you're creating a new flow or a new design or, you know, a new feature. But what I find amusing is that a lot of people in like the real world, they say X out, X out of that window. Because there's yeah. a little X to close stuff. And like, as yeah. a writer, you're like, X out. That sounds terrible. What does that mean? But it's, it's, yeah. it's close or exit. And because that's, you know, also if you, you know, back in Windows days, you know, in the file menu, you had close and you had exit. So that even though that terminology was there. And your people were like, right. you know, you know, click on it. Click on is another thing. We say click. It's not click on. Mm-hmm. It's click. And then, mm-hmm. but you know, hear people click on this and include this. And it's just like how people change that language. And it's just crazy how people yeah. take the language that you've crafted and created and a taxonomy and, you know, an ontology. And then they just, you know, it's thrown out the window because they call it X out instead of close or exit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm trying to imagine how that would look at like in writing yeah, yeah. <laughs> to say like that, you know, that's, that's interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, it's, I used to say that tech writers were the Rodney Dangerfield of the technology field. That we got no respect. <laughs> we and, got no respect. You know, finally, you know, finally, you know, 20, 27 years later, I'm like, hey, finally getting some respect. This isn't too bad. I should say I have that respect in places, but it's always yeah. it's always a slog. And, you know, there's always been some of those, those you know, those developers, condescending de- developers like, yeah, what are you, why are you taking up my time kind of thing? But it does seem to be changing. People seem to be more appreciative. Of yeah. That. You know, it, although it, it's funny, like um, sometimes people will say like, OK, we're going to, you know, if they're creating a design and we'll need some MJ magic right here, you know, nice. on this part. I know. And it's, I mean, it's fine. Obviously I know that they're just, uh, you know, they're just joking around. It's not meant seriously, but part of me is like, you know, it's, that's, you know, I get it. Like, I know it's not really meant seriously, but I think like, I don't want writing to be, to be seen that way in a way, you know, as like, it's like, I certainly want it to be seen as important, but it's not mm. like, I don't know that I don't really want to be a unicorn. I don't really want to be like, um, you know, as like with this mystical knowledge that like, you know, few are blessed with like that. That's not, it's, it's a practice like any other, you know, and it's a, it's a skill like any other. Um, And again, I don't want to make too much of that. Like that's, um, but I I think like, you know, in in terms of sort of like the evolution of bringing sort of, uh, you know, design into like the, the, you know, the tech world or writing into the tech world. It's like, I think, you know, maybe at some point, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe it was designers that really felt like they needed to um, sort of like, uh, you know, you know, advocate for good design, advocate, you know, sort of evangelize for, for what they were doing. And I feel like that's now fairly well-established and maybe now write, writers are in that in that role now of saying like, okay, you know, writing is part of good design and writing right. is, you know, a crucial, a crucial aspect of this. And we, we need to, you know, writers need to be involved at the, at the, you know, from the beginning, um, you know, when it comes to UX design. Yeah. And there's a lot of roles now in titles that are like, you know, content designer, content engineer. Yeah. So, you know, there's a ton of different 
you know, take your pick of words and uh, titles. You could there's there's pretty much one of them. You know, if it was in the development world, there's pretty much a content equivalent now. It seems like, which is great because right. it's like, hey, okay, these guys and we're doing, you know, we're in in our world, we're doing the same, we're using the same products and the same processes that the developers are. So it's not like we're using some arcane system that only the writers can touch because it's magic. You know, yeah, we're literally exactly. using Markdown in GitLab repos. So it's like, mm-hmm. like you said, like of course, you know not everyone can write wonderfully, but everyone can kind of write. And if we can empower Mm -hmm. them and that's what I like is, you know, our style guide used to be printed. Then I put it online years ago. And then now it's like, it's built into our, our system. So that way people can check this, you know, as they're going. So it's not like you have to go and refer to the style guide, which as you said, is probably arcane or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now it's a living document where, Oh, you know, a new word changes that we shouldn't be using or word we should use instead of this. Like, you know, like I said, we we have it where you can change it from click on to click. So you could just, build that out automatically and spread that knowledge so you're that way you're not the mj magic unicorn so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i yeah. think has its pluses and minuses because i like kind of being a unicorn and people coming to me for stuff but yeah i think you know oh. the documentation of it is really really cool yeah i certainly i you know that part of it is, is great but <laughs> i think like you know it's i don't know how sustainable that is and you it's, know that's you want... not scalable that's the thing right right exactly exactly um yeah so i love that idea of uh like the automatic sort of the auto check style guide functionality that i'm and i'm trying to think like if there's any way to sort of work that into the systems that i work with um and I, I don't know, but by God, I'm going to go find out. <laughs> I'm going to see if I could because um, that would just be an incredibly powerful tool, you know, for people, you know. But as you say, I, I am familiar a little bit with what your group is doing with, like, mm-hmm. the self-service content. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so cool. I think, like, the um, probably the need for it is a little bit more urgent, you know, there. So that's well, fantastic. As they say, let's talk offline. <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I'm sure we will. Yeah, there you go. We'll have another Zoom call. But, you know, there's a lot of great UX writing resources now. I mean, you know, there's, um, you know, there are like communities and there are blogs and there are books and, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, I I don't feel like it's sort of the wild west early days. I mean, it's still, I mean, I mean, it's still, I would say maybe fairly early, but you know, there's a lot of this um, sort of infrastructure coming together for uh, for a community. So um, you know, there's like uh, you know LinkedIn groups that you can join and um, conferences that you can go to and Lots you know books to and bo- and books to read and things like that. And so I think that's really that's really great. You know, there's there's a good amount of that stuff going on. Yeah, we've come a long way from just a list apart, which is fantastic. But yeah, there's not, yeah. you know, there, you know, Smashing Magazine was, yeah, but you're right. You know, I mean, there was mm-hmm. very little content in the in the, on the internet back in the day, and now it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, there's, you know, there's it's exploded with, I mean, even just the number of podcasts I've seen in this space since I started mine six years ago. So it's like, holy cow, mm-hmm. it's just it's, it's exploding, it's crazy. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is awesome. You know, it's the same thing, and everyone's got something different to talk about. You know, some people have mm-hmm. short form, some people have long form, like me, and it's just like you know, whatever you want to do. So that's, you know, so I, that's, uh, you know, that's what I love about the internet and the world that we are, that we've democratized content and doc- democratized so many things. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem is in some cases it's been abused. So, 
but that's a different mm-hmm. story. Thankfully, we're in the we're in a do-gooder field, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> I, I, I would say I would I would situate us squarely in that field, Ed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I think we've talked quite a bit about what we do, uh, you know, at work and about UX writing. And if you could do me a favor, if you could send me some links to some of those sites that you said are good resources, I'll put up sure. I'll put them up in the show notes. Um, yeah. So I usually put a good set of show notes in there. Um, okay. but why don't you tell us about what you do when you're not talking about UX writing? You know, this is going to sound so dorky, but <laughs> the, truth, the, the truth is like I am, um, I do a crossword puzzle or two every single day. And so, and I am currently like, uh, participating in this crossword puzzle tournament, this online crossword puzzle tournament, um, this great site called Boswords, B-O-S-Words.com. And they, um, they've been running some really great, you know, online crossword puzzle tournaments. Um, I did the first one, I did one in the fall. Uh, and then they had a one-day tournament back in the winter, and now they have a spring one. It's um, they they release a new puzzle every Monday night, and you have until like Thursday to complete it. And then I think we I don't know how many rounds we're doing. We've we've done three already. I'm not sure how many how many more we have to do. So um, yeah, I love crossword puzzles. My goal is to is to like actually I, I don't know I'm I, I almost feel nervous saying this out loud because it's going to commit me to it. But I was like. <laughs> All right, I want to construct a crossword puzzle. Oh, like wow. that to me is like I know, I know. Like even just saying that, like no, it's crazy. I can't. But um, you know, that would be that's sort of a goal for me for in the next year or two. Like I've been doing them for a long time. So um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I used to go well back in the you know before times when we could actually gather in in, in groups. I would you know the annual uh, American Crossword Puzzle Tournament that they have every year up in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. I competed in there. And let, let me just be very clear that I am entirely mediocre. I am like, if I, <laughs> if I crack the top 50%, uh, you know, in, at the end, like I'm happy with that. Like that is, um, cause like the people who win these things or end up in the top, you know, like the top, the top finishers are just like Olympic gods of crossword puzzle oh solving. That, I mean, they are like, it's unbelievable. And, and you'll just be sitting next to them. Like they'll be, you know, one seat over from you and you know they'll um you know at the beginning of a puzzle like you know at the the in-person puzzles like they do them on paper so you know they distribute all the puzzles on paper and you sit there with your puzzle face down until they say like time and then you flip them over and it's like i swear to god like i have like you know six I've gotten like maybe six answers and someone's already raising their hand to like, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, what? how? No, like, that's like, how is that even physically possible that you can like write that fast? Even like much less like read the clues and try to understand, you know, like that you can even like, even if you're just writing gibberish, like I couldn't fill it out, you know, like, and you know, fill all of those squares. That I mean, it's unbelievable. And you just have to like ignore it because it's too depressing. Like, okay, those people are just superhuman. They're, you know, they're doing their, their own thing. So, um, you know, that's like, I'm, so I, I love doing that. We like, you know, word game, I'm, I'm very into like, you know, geeking out on word games and things like that. Um, yeah. So, um, and I'm just trying to think, you know, I'm just sort of normal, boring hobbies. You know, I love I love cooking and baking and, nice. um, you know, obviously been doing a lot of that in quarantine. Say, past year, huh? 
tons of that. Yeah. yeah oh my maybe God. Us too. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, like my kids right now are making chocolate chip cookies. So nice. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not That'd arguing. That'd be nice to finish up the podcast with. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. Once I'm done, I'm like, let me add those cookies. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I have to say, I do the uh, the New York Times mini crossword every day. Uh, okay. I, every so often, I try to do the big one. I'm like, no, no. I, uh, oh, it's, you can. It, I know. It's just like, do I want to spend an hour doing it and staring at this crossword? Probably not. <laughs> but I was I was humbled once. I was at a um, a technical or technical communications society holiday party, and mm-hmm. they brought out Scrabble, and someone was like, yeah, I don't know if she was a competitive Scrabble player, but she said she played all the time, and I was just like, dog. And I, just kind of, I was embarrassing, like, I'm here with a bunch of writers and I'm like doing horribly. I'm like, well, maybe this well, isn't my game. So I'll share a dirty secret. I'll share a dirty little secret with you that I don't like Scrabble. I've never oh, okay. liked Scrabble. People think I like Scrabble because, you know, and I'm like, nope, I can't stand it. I actually, and I'm, and partly oh, because, I'm t- and partly because, no, yeah. So I completely support your, uh, your dislike of Scrabble, you know, and I, you know, people kind of tend to lump them in with crosswords and I'm like, oh no, they are very different. And okay, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I could go on about why why I think crosswords are superior, but um, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I, I know it's one of those things. Like because we're word people, like people would right. expect that we like it. And I'm like, no, I can. If I never play Scrabble again, that's like that's fine with me. Um, no, I, I hear you about the, the. You know, sometimes I think about all the time I've spent doing crossword puzzles. <laughs> I, you know, actually there was a moment when I was um, doing my MFA program. Uh, one day I was in class and I was doing a crossword puzzle, like while we were waiting for class to start, and one of the other students looks over at me and said, said, uh, you know, with a, you know, very, very snootily, like, and what exactly what good is that? And I didn't really have a good answer. I was just like, well, I like doing it. I don't know. <laughs> really? Really? That's what you're going to, that's what you're going yeah, to ask? Yeah, you're right. I, but I don't know. It made me double down harder. Like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this even more. So, <laughs> Hey, it's stuck with you all your life. Who cares? Right. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. It makes, it's still making you happy. It's still making your brain go. This is what I think, yeah. you know, and every year older that I get, I feel yeah. like, you know, I need something like this. This is going to be a good thing. Yeah. I feel a lot better in my older age now taking time to just be doing nothing. So it's kind of mm-hmm. nice. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Especially this past year, not having any place to go. It's been kind of nice. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. It's, you know, it'll be really interesting to see like what, habits and sort of things that kind of cropped up to in response to the pandemic we're going to keep you know i'm wondering the um, same thing now that like you know things are kind of getting better and there's a vaccine and you know it's it's the year is kind of over ish mm -hmm. we're not out of the woods yet yet, but it's interesting to see like what's going to stick in the in the future here you know i i mean do you like me personally, for example, like I, I think the little like streeteries, you know, that have popped up all over, you know, I mean, I live in Brooklyn, but like all over Brooklyn. And I think those are great. And I, you know, I don't see why we can't still have them, you know, when the, when the pandemic is done and, you know, just sort of like reclaim some streets for, you know, residents and, you know, not everything has to be for a car and um, it would be like an extra sort of income stream for, for restaurants. You know, they can, once we can, you know, they can fill up their indoor areas to, you know, sit outside. And I just, you know, and it's been interesting to me to see like how those have like have evolved. I think like the first ones, you know, were kind of like slapdash, but like, it seems like if you've noticed, like they seem like to be getting more elaborate and kind of like, 
people are figuring it out and it's just and they're bringing a lot of ingenuity and creativity so, yeah, into I feel doing like this which I think and a lot of different like themes and stuff it's crazy yeah yeah and like figuring out maybe how to keep people separate and how to but while keeping the airflow through but while also keeping it warm you know like trying to balance all of these like i would love to talk to somebody who's designing that because i think like it's been really, you know, there's like, a, like just such variety between, you know, in certain ones that you see, you know, that it's like, oh, wow, that's interesting how they figured out like how to, you know, make this a better experience, um, which is really interesting. So, yeah, it's been it's it's been a year, <laughs> and well, you know, we've all we've all you know we've all been uh, we've all been there. We um, I, I I think we were we were talking earlier that uh, I got my first vaccine shot uh, last week, two week or a week and a half ago. And it was interesting. Well, it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a thing because I went uh, up to the Bronx. That was where I got an appointment and I was the last appointment of the day. And it turned out that the person right ahead of me used the last shot in the vial mm -hmm. and they were not allowed to open a new vial unless they could use all, I think seven shots, like seven doses in there. And yeah. And so, um, and the nurse was so apologetic and she even like, you know, went around to the hospital and tried to see if she could drum up six mm. people to come so that they could open up the vial and she couldn't. And, um, you know, and I had this moment of like, okay, all right, well, this is really disappointing. You know, like I came all this way, I'm going home. And she said, you know, you can come back tomorrow. We'll, you know, we'll expedite you. I'm so sorry. And I was thinking like, oh my God, it was such a schlep to get up here. I don't want it. You know, like, I don't want to have to, I really have to come back tomorrow. And I was, and then I just realized, you know, it's like, we're all in this together, right? Like there is, there is like, there's, it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault. You right. know, like it just happened and they're not, you know, I don't want them to, you know, I don't want vaccine to be wasted or, you know, it was, um, I don't know. I, I'm not even, it, it was just such a, a moment of like, you know, I think like what job is more important right now than these people who are, who are administering these vaccines, you know, and no one is getting rich doing, I mean, not the people who are, you know, yeah, administering yeah. the vaccines. And um, I'm just so glad that they're doing it. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll come. And I came back the next day and that same nurse was there. I, I think she, God, you know, I don't know if she gets any time off. And, you know, she's like, oh, you, you came back. I'm so glad. You know, I was so sorry about, you know, having to, uh, you know, that you didn't get it. And I was like, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, it's, it is okay. It's got to be draining to be that in that role right now. I mean, right. I, you know, like, I, you know, the fact that she seemed to have so much energy and be so like, you know, have, which, you know, with a generally good disposition, I think was like sp spoke volumes on her behalf. So it was, uh, you know, in the end, a really a, a great experience, you know, a great, a, yeah. you know, a nice, a nice interaction, you know, um, and good to know that someone like, you know, people like that are out there, you know, doing this to help, to help everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I actually yeah. went to a brewery yesterday and had to interact with people. It was kind of interesting. I was like, "Holy cow!" But to your point, um, you know, about what's going to change in the in the, you know in, in the future. You know, we were sitting outside. We were, we are thankfully able to walk. We have a 1.6 mile walk to a distillery and a brewery right next door to each other. So we were nice. sitting there having a drink in the distillery at the distillery. Um, and of course, there's the outdoor, you know, beer garden and one around the corner and the sign on the door for a brewery says, oh, no drinks outside, strictly prohibited kind of stuff. So you already see like that brewery's only been business two years. So a, a year in it was like, OK, well, we went from not having beer 
outside mm-hmm. to you have to have beer outside. <laughs> right, and exactly. they have their own parking lot. I think there's not, a, you know, no reason for them to not to be out there. So I would love mm-hmm. to be able to like have a drink outside like that instead of like, you know, I mean, it's the brewery's open has a big door or like a garage door, but it's not mm-hmm. a little dark compared to being outside under, you know, it was on a nice day like yesterday. It was just yeah. so wonderful. It's just like yeah, oh, right. And it's so. like, and it's like, well, why did we have that rule before? Like no drinks outside, right? And and now that like that rule had to get thrown out the window and it's like, it's okay. Right. Like, I don't think, I don't think that there, or I'm, I don't know, maybe there has been, but I haven't heard of, you know, any huge problems being caused by like, you know, being able to, you know, take a drink outside or, you know, what have you. Right. I mean, I, you know, it's like sometimes it takes, you know, some, I guess, huge event like this to show yeah. us that like, Oh, things, you know, how, how things can be different, you know, oh. that, uh, you know, and that, uh, or, you know, whether it's like working from home or working well, remotely or, you know, like all the, yeah. The world changed in a year very quickly. So, no, you have to be in your seat, butts and seats to, okay, you know, we'll see you on Zoom. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And like the work still gets done. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so, so great. let's hope that the good times are coming. You know, it's, uh, it's been a rough year for everybody. You know, I don't think anybody's been better mentally because of it so anyhow i'm sure yeah, some people that, have i have had been a little bit because i don't have to commute to work i've actually right. got a little healthier oddly enough in this whole thing and i've lost some weight but, you mentioned uh, that good for so, you yeah so you know hopefully i'm going to continue that now that, now that the weather's nice yeah actually, right go well after this the thing that i always have been saying to myself this past year is like you know no one's living their best life right now <laughs> <laughs> i mean they may be you know coping with it but i don't think anyone is living their best life yeah and you know if so, and if you are even, and if yeah, you are yeah. i don't want to hear about it <laughs> You know, and in the grand scheme of things, it's one of X of your life of your lifetime. So, you know, yes, you know, it was one of 50 years of my life. You know, it wasn't the best year. I've had a worse year, I can tell you, with cancer. But, you know, it's, yes. you know, it's just one and it'll be gone soon, thankfully, we hope so. Yes. But, you know, but, you know, like you said, you got to take a lot of good things. Like we just saw a two hour concert last night sitting on our couch. It was freaking awesome. So who did you, who did you see? It was um. It was John Oates had this benefit concert for feedingamerica.org. And it was just, you know, it's just like a clip show with like different bands, like who played. Um, Daryl Hall did a solo thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dave Grohl talked about Everlong and played Everlong acoustic. Jewel was on. Um, Great. Kevmo, just even people I didn't know. And it was, that's a great thing about it. It was like, oh, this person's really cool. Okay, I'm going to Google this Mm -hmm. person and see what they have. So there's that, that discovery part of it too, which is really awesome. But we saw more shows in the past year at home than going out in probably three or four. I miss going to shows a lot, but to be able to sit at home with a good beer that I didn't pay $15 for uh, without people standing around me and being obnoxious, it was and not have to drive home afterwards or commute home afterwards has been fantastic. So. We and yeah, we had a great experience last night too. Our our son's middle school as a fundraiser hosted this comedy night, and oh, so cool. they had like five stand up comedians. Um, yeah, and it was like so great that we could just like dial in and you know watch these watch these really hilarious stand up comedians. And um, I've seen, yeah, and I, you know I've been able to you know I've attended some great like. Um, author talks and uh you know like we saw a talk a couple months ago of you know john waters in conversation with um with G- i think it was with jim jarmish um the, the okay. two film two filmmakers uh that was fantastic i a couple of months ago there was another uh, talk between two writers that i love george saunders and tobias wolf and you know i just and i think like you know 
certainly, you know, maybe in a previous time, like they would have appeared together, perhaps at a bookstore or in some venue. And, you know, if you happen to be there at that exactly. time, you know, exactly. you could go. And so, um, you know, maybe now that's another thing that we'll go for that, like anytime there's an, an in-person event, they will also have the remote, you know, option at the same time. So, you know, you can get, you know, widen your audience and people who, you know, can, uh, can attend, uh, you know, at the beginning. I'm not sure it's really helped through so much, but definitely at the beginning of the pandemic, I was on the PTA for my daughter's high school okay. and um, we got much more participation at our PTA meetings right. from, from the zoom, you know, when it was on zoom than we ever did in person, you know, because like people couldn't get there after work or, you know, whatever, you know, like all kinds of reasons. Um, yeah, same thing with so, our condo community meeting. It's like, okay. And I used to have to go to the library across town, like seven o'clock on a Wednesday. And if you're not getting home yeah. until six 30, no, I'm not doing it's that. Tough. Now it's tough. Yeah. Okay. It's eight or seven o'clock. Sit down. Boom. Hi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, I mean, all of those things can be really, you know, um, can be can be real benefits, you know, that are carried forward. I mean, I think a lot too, though, at the same time, then, you know, it's going to become even more important to really be able to draw that line between work and home, right? Because if it's all kind of mushed together, um, that's going to be something really important to think about. Yeah, I'm thankfully, I'm the kind of person who can separate it, even though I've been checking, I've been off all week, and I check Outlook at least once a day for my work email. But, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, you know, but that I don't mind, but you know, now, you know, like you said, it's, it's, you know, if you're going to be working 12 hours or like, Oh gee, I'm not commuting three hours. So now I can work an extra three hours. That's not going to work for me. And I hope that people yeah. don't have that expectation, but you know, we'll see. I'm sure, I'm sure some people will and some people won't, who knows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, MJ, it was great talking to you. And you know, you said, this I don't know how I'm going to feel an hour, but you're like, here we are over <laughs> an hour later, just BS in here. So yeah, yeah you, you made it very easy. So thank you for doing this. This was awesome. so much fun. Awesome. So where can we find you? Like, how can we find you online? Where can, how can we reach you? You know, mostly on LinkedIn. That is the extent of my social media these days. Fair um, I, I have a, you know, I, I, I've had this website uh, under construction for a long time, but, uh, you know, maybe one of these days I'll actually finish it. But uh, LinkedIn right now is great, and I'd be happy to hear from anyone. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll send right. you there. I'll put a link in the show notes. So thanks okay. again, MJ. This was fun. I'm glad we got to talk. And, uh... All right. Thanks, Ed. Have a great walk, and yeah. we'll be in touch soon.